Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, today is Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. My name is David Obelts. I am the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Thank you for joining us for the Russia-Ukraine War Report podcast. It's the start of a new month, so this show is very simple. We are going to review what the goals were for both belligerents in the month of September. We're going to give them a letter grade, axis by axis. I do have a housekeeping item, and we have some breaking news before we go into that analysis. We were supposed to have a guest interview on the show. We promoted that last week, and the reason it's not ready, it's my fault. The day that we were going to do that recording was on the same day that Limon was moving into encirclement. Putin did his speech about annexation. Then there was Zelensky's speech about the NATO application for Ukraine. And then Jens Stoltenberg's press conference. I pulled an all-nighter. I was up for all of that. And I fell asleep at my desk in the office and slept right through our interview time. Fortunately, our talent is understanding of that. And we will have that interview, but it's going to be in two weeks. Moving on to breaking news, there are three counteroffensives that are happening right now. And by the time you listen to this, this will probably be inaccurate. The first one is in the Kharkiv Oblast, that is at the Kupiansk bridgehead. Ukrainian forces have pushed all the way to Kislyka. That is about 22 kilometers from the bridgehead and about 35 kilometers from Zvatove. That is a critical logistic and supply hub for Russian forces, and Ukrainian troops are moving closer and closer to being able to bring that town into fire control range from tubed artillery. The second counteroffensive is the continuation of what has been happening in Donetsk and Luhansk. Ukrainian forces have pushed to Kremina. They are not in Kremina, at least at the time that we're recording this. They are to the west and the northwest, and they are pushing on both sides. Looking at the map, and you can view our map if you go to our website, malkatennews.com, for Russia to maintain defense of Kremina, it is already starting to look untenable. There are Unconfirmed reports from pro-Russian sources that they don't have enough troops to hold defense. They don't have enough artillery support. They're not getting any air support, and they're not going to get air support in that area. There was an unconfirmed report as we were going in to record that Russian troops are starting to retreat from Crimea. We actually doubt that. Ukraine is almost certainly not seeking to do a direct assault. They are probably looking to do what they did in Limon, which is press to put those Russian troops in a place of near technical encirclement and force them to retreat without having to have a big, bloody, costly battle for Ukrainian troops and then turn that retreat into a big, bloody retreat for Russian forces. And the third counteroffensive that is happening is in Kherson, in the northern part. Ukrainian forces are pushing towards Duchene, following the bank of the Dnipro River. Duchene is a major supply hub, 
It's a critical city for Russian forces, and the Russian line of defense has completely collapsed in the northern part of Kherson. Ukrainian forces have advanced at least 10 kilometers, and we are seeing very similar pattern of chaos and panic in the reports from pro-Russian accounts and Russian military accounts and Telegram that we saw in Kharkiv back in early September. The information space has become very confused. There are some, quite frankly, very wild claims on advances as far as 70 kilometers, which is very hard to believe at this point. But technically, militarily, is possible. Mechanized infantry can move 60 kilometers in a day in a combat situation. It isn't an impossibility. It's just, it's a little hard to believe that Russian defenses were that weak in that area and were that ill-prepared. With all of that said, there's definitely a very rapid advance that's going on. And I'll close with what I started with. All of this is probably all out of date in the time that we recorded just these last three minutes. And with that, we're going to move on to the report card. Going back to the start of September, we had our situation report broken up into eight fronts where there was serious fighting going on and where we had assigned goals, what we believe the objectives were for both belligerents, for Russia and Ukraine. What we're going to do in this section is we're going to recap what those goals and objectives were. We're going to give them a letter grade. And the first place is Kherson and Mikiolev. And Russia's objective there was hold existing territorial gains, protect their ground lines of communication, G-locks, a.k.a. supply lines, defend Kherson, prevent envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River, and restrict insurgent activity. The Ukrainian objective was liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River, push Russian forces back far enough to end multiple launch rocket systems MLRS attacks on Mikhailov and Kriviri. Now, one caveat. This letter grade is through September 30th. If we were to include through October 2nd, this grade would be very different. Russia gets a B through September 30th. Not only were they able to mostly hold their existing territorial gains, they were able to regain a couple of areas. Nothing strategic, but they were able to make some tactical gains. They were able, for the most part, to protect their ground lines of communication. That is, not the lines that are going across the river, but the roads that are supplying their troops on the eastern side of the Inulets River and around Kherson. They definitely defended Kherson, the city itself. Um, they prevented envelopment on the western side of the Dnipro River. The area where they didn't do well, which was restrict insurgent activity, that increased significantly through the month of September. Ukraine gets to sea, but again, we're only going through September 30th. Liberate the Kherson Oblast west of the Dnipro River. They didn't make a lot of progress. They were able to hold the Inulets River bridgehead. They were able to expand it a little bit. They were able to push a little bit from northern Kherson, but they did not make a lot of progress there. Push Russian forces back far enough to end MLRS attacks. They weren't able to do that on either city. However, they were able to just about stop S-300 missile attacks on Mikhailov. And 
that's the reason why they get a C. And I know I've repeated a couple of times. It'll say it one more time. That's through September 30th. If we were talking through October 2nd, these grades would be totally different. The next front is Northern Zaporizhia. The Russian objective was interdict personnel and equipment assembling for a counteroffensive, break civilian will with continued terror attacks, and turn popular opinion against Ukraine by terrorizing the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. The Ukrainian objectives prevent further Russian advances, exploit weaknesses on the line of conflict, and prepare the area civilian population for an accident. How did they do? Russia gets a C minus. They didn't do a very good job of interdicting personnel and equipment. They certainly did not do a job in breaking civilian will with the continued terror attacks. They only galvanized it. And they lost in the information space on ZNPP. I feel like we're one of the only organizations that are providing daily news updates on what is happening at the plant. You almost don't hear about it anywhere else in the news cycle. Russia's lost the information war there. Having the International Atomic Energy Agency in there has really negated the power they had in trying to create this narrative. If we look at the end of September, you have the Russian Ministry of Defense doing press release after press release. Ukraine is shelling the plant. Ukraine is shelling the plant. And you have the IAEA with their staff there going, they're just landmines that are blowing up for reasons we don't understand around the plant. And there isn't a significant issue other than there probably shouldn't be landmines this close to the plant itself. Ukraine on the other side here gets like a B minus. They certainly there were no Russian advances in this area, but Russia really didn't try. There wasn't much exploiting weaknesses in the line of conflict. They certainly worked to prepare the civilian population while managing the message and not creating panic. And that's the reason they push up to getting a B. Moving on, the next front, Southern Zaporizhia. The Russian objective, set conditions for an offensive to capture northern Zaporizhia, defend the existing line of conflict, end the insurrection that has expanded from Melitopol to most of the occupied territory. The Ukrainian objective, fix Russian assets in place to prevent redeployment, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, interdict supplies and disrupt logistics, support and expand the insurrection in the occupied territories. How did Russia do? Russia gets a C minus, and that might be generous. They certainly didn't set conditions for an offensive to capture northern Zaporizhia. They are completely on the defensive in this entire region. They did defend the existing line of conflict for the most part. Ukraine has made some gains, and there's some things going on that we can't talk about. There's been an ask for operational security for the media and the analyst community not to share some activity that's going on. They did nothing to end the insurrection in the month of September. It has widely expanded. It has become far more aggressive through the entire region. And it is that insurrection that really pulls that Russia grade down to C-. minus. How did Ukraine do? Ukraine gets a B plus to an A minus here. They've done an excellent job of fixing those Russian assets in place, forcing Russia to 
put troops where they can't be deployed somewhere else where they could be more useful. They've done a tremendous job of defending the existing line of conflict. They've done a good job of finding and exploiting weaknesses. I wish we could share more about that, but we can't. They've done a tremendous job of destroying troop concentration, command and control sites, interdicting supplies and disrupting logistics. Particularly, they have done a lot of suppress and destroy enemy air defense through here in the month of September. And they have advanced into an area where they have air dominance and it teeters on air superiority. Russia in particular has lost a lot of attack helicopters uh, over the month of September in this region. The last thing is support and expand the insurrection and occupied territories. There is a lot of evidence that Ukrainian special operation forces are operating well behind the line of conflict and are working in concert with the insurrectionists that are fighting against the Russian occupation in that area. Moving on, the next area is southwest Donetsk, which could be best described as Donetsk City in the region south and southwest of there within the oblast. Russian objectives, back on September 1, Secure the Donetsk Oblast in its entirety by September 15. Bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control and stage a referendum on becoming part of the Russian Federation. The Ukrainian objective, lock Russian military assets in place, defend the existing line of conflict while finding and exploiting weaknesses, destroy troop concentrations and command and control sites, and interdict supplies and disrupt logistics. The letter grade for Russia is very complicated here. They get a C plus. They really deserve a D minus, but we have to give them a C plus. Secure the Donetsk Oblast by September 15th. Not only did they not secure the Donetsk Oblast by September 15th, they lost by September 30th almost 10% of the area that they controlled. At its peak, Russia held about 54% of all of the territory in the Donetsk Oblast. By the end of September, they controlled 42%. That's an F. Bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk under control. That's a D, especially when we look at a city like Mariupol, where there has been a large expansion of the insurrection there, particularly in the second half of September. But I think what saves the grade stage a referendum to become part of the Russian Federation. Yes, it was a sham election. Yes, they held it, despite the fact that they only have 40% control of the Oblast. We get all of that, but they still held it. And that's why I have to give them the grade that they get. I know this feels probably very corporate America, like, well, you made these commitments for your job. And although you failed these things, you did achieve this. So um, you get to get an average review And yeah, that's what we're kind of doing, the corporate America thing here. Let's look at the Ukrainian objectives. The Ukraine here gets a B plus. They locked Russian military assets in place. They certainly defended the existing line of conflict. They actually did a tremendous job around that, around Evdivka, finding and exploiting weaknesses. They did some of that. They did an excellent job of destroying troop concentrations, command and control sites, interdicting supplies, and disrupting logistics. There is something that happened at the end of September, which is the Russian Ministry of Defense made a decision to pull 
the resources of the First Army Corps, which is Donetsk People's Republic, and yanked them from the Avdivka Offensive. The offensive that started back in early August and late July to encircle Avdivka now was all for nothing. The hundreds if not between both Ukraine and Russia, 1,000-plus troops that died for a little village called Pisky was for nothing. Russia does not have the troops, the troop strength, the artillery, the armored vehicles to take advantage of any of the very small gains that they took because they removed those troop concentrations and they spread them like peanut butter across the entire defensive line, which was a, it wasn't a good decision. And we're going to get to the next letter grade. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Uh, as your chief content officer, this one is one of my least favorite subjects, Bakhmut. How many ways could we make the failed offensive in Bakhmut sound interesting in the podcast and in the situation reports? What was the Russian objective? Secure the area by September 15 to support an autumn referendum to join the Russian Federation. What was the Ukrainian objective? Defend Bakhmut Solidar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend the Ukrainian ground lines of communication. Russia gets an F. They were not able to move an inch through the month of September despite all of the resources that they threw into this area. They made some incremental gains around Vasila de Loina, where they captured the electrical transformer farm. And that's about it. They lost some ground uh, around Bakhmutsky. They were able to move into Solodar, then lost all of that ground, and then were able to move back to about where they were on September 1. We did the math because and yeah, I'm going to stretch a little bit and go to October 2nd because October 2nd is the 60-day mark of attempting to capture Bakhmut. Over the last 60 days, Wagner Group, the private military company which has done most of the fighting, has been able to advance about 35 meters a day since August 2nd. It's an F. The Ukrainian objectives here, they get a B+. plus. Uh, they have successfully defended Bakhmut and Solidar. They've done a pretty good job of managing equipment loss in particular. They have suffered some heavy personnel losses at times. They've done a good job of minimizing civilian casualties, and they absolutely have defended the ground lines of communication. This offensive that Russia is continuing to do is pointless at this point. There is no tactical or strategic value in capturing Bakhmut. At the start of the month, when Russia still held Izum, this was making some sense. But at this point, this should stop. And the continued throwing of resources here is, quite frankly, a distraction and a waste. If that's what the Russian Ministry of Defense wants to do, then that is all for the better for the country of Ukraine. Moving on. The next one is Northeast Donetsk and Luhansk. 
The Russian objective, capture the remainder of the Donetsk Oblast by September 15th, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. The Ukrainian objective, lock Russian military assets in place, prevent advances on Seversk, Slavyansk, Kramatorsk, support insurgents, exploit weaknesses, and interdict supplies. All right, we're only going to September 30 here. Russia, D minus again. They did not capture the remainder of Donetsk Oblast. As a matter of fact, this is the area where they lost all of that territory that we had talked about earlier. It was all in this region. The insurgency has become much more aggressive in this area. Uh, they have not been able to integrate captured territory into the Russian Federation. The defensive lines here have collapsed to the point that in northeast Donetsk, Russian forces now only have a toehold on the eastern side south of Lyschansk. They've been pushed out of the oblast at the time of this recording in all other areas. Ukraine here gets an A-, and they're really close to an A. They locked Russian military assets in place. We talked about this decision to give up on the Avdivka offensive and peanut butter those troops across the line, which was an ineffective de uh, decision. They prevented advances on Seversk, Slavyansk, and Kramatorsk. Not only did they prevent it, but when we look at what happened in Izum, they took it off of the table. They've supported the insurgencies. Boy, did they exploit weaknesses. During the month of September, most of those advances happened in Kharkiv, but certainly a chunk of this happened in Donetsk. The other thing that happened is Ukraine was able to advance into Luhansk. They liberated Bilohorivka. This is the infamous Bilohorivka, where the disastrous Russian river crossing happened in mid-May, where Russia lost the equivalent in combat strength of a brigade. Moving on. At the beginning of September, we had, doesn't it feel like this is forever ago? We had Kharkiv broken out into two sections. We had the Azum Front and the Northern Kharkiv counteroffensive. So let's talk about Izum, the Russian objective. Push Ukrainian forces back to end shelling on Izum. Protect ground lines of communications or supply lines west and north of Izum. The Ukrainian objective. Defend against advances on Slavyansk and capitalize on weaknesses in Russian defenses. Continue to harass and interdict Russian ground lines of communication. Supply lines. Execute special operation forces, SOF raids on Russian troops located behind the line of conflict. If you're not up on current events, these grades are going to surprise you. Russia gets an F. They get an F minus. They get a zero. They get a do not pass. You have to retake this course. What happened in a Zoom for Russia is nothing less than a complete military disaster. This was a major defeat, and the echoes of what happened through September 9th through 11th are still happening today in the expanding offensive that we've seen with the Putin line, as we've called it and other analyst communities have called it, completely collapsing in the last four to five days at the end of September. The loss of a Zoom caused the loss of Liman, which will ultimately cause the loss of Lyschansk, which we believe will be coming up in the next couple of weeks. Ukraine here gets an A+. They ran a masterclass on how to do combined arms maneuver warfare and did it at lightning speed. And 
They certainly defended against advances on Slavyansk, uh, which is off the table now. Uh, they did more than capitalize on weaknesses in the Russian defenses, and we had discussed all the way back in June that this area was underdefended. This was ripe for a counteroffensive. If Ukraine had the resources and the confidence, and clearly they did during the month of September, they absolutely destroyed, smashed the Russian ground lines of communication, their supply lines, and forget special operation forces raids. Uh, you know they came through with multiple military brigades and just cleared this entire area out. Ukraine could have not done better here. There is no way they could have got a better grade. The only way Russia could have done worse is if the troops in the Zoom had become encircled and you had a mass surrender happen. That's the only silver lining. But as we know, they abandoned almost all of their military equipment that Ukraine is very easily able to integrate into their military. All right, we're to the last front and this is the Northern Kharkiv counteroffensive. The Russian objective, prevent Ukraine from reaching the international border with Russia, protect the Kupiansk ground lines of communication, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. The Ukrainian objective, prevent further Russian advances on Kharkiv, the city, pressure Russian-controlled ground lines of communication. This is another one. If you're not up on current events, Russia gets another F minus here, another zero. If we could give a negative score, they would get a negative score. Russia controls now maybe 5% of the Kharkiv Oblast. Ukraine was able to push right to the international border uh, across hundreds of kilometers of battle line. Russia lost all of their ground line communications. They were not able to defend Kupiansk. Uh, they certainly have not broken civilian will with their continued terror attacks on Kharkiv, in particular the city. But uh, also we've learned about the horrors that have happened while Russia was occupying this territory. And uh, this gets a little bit into October, but we, it, it, we learned about it in October. It happened on September 25th, this terrible massacre that happened east of Kupiansk of uh, civilians that were fleeing and trying to get to the Ukrainian advance so that they could get to the other side. Uh, Ukraine on the other side, historians and military experts will study for years what Ukraine did in Kharkiv. They ran a masterclass uh, in their securing of the Oblast and how quickly it was done and they had a first echelon, a second echelon, a third echelon. And when you look at what they did, they thought of everything. Not only did they think about first, second, third echelon of troops as they moved through, but they thought about the demining effort that needs to happen. They thought about providing immediate aid to the liberated civilians. They thought about identifying war crimes, finding collaborators, they thought about restoring power, natural gas, getting the post service going again, getting checks and getting uh, debit cards back into the hands of pensioners as quickly as possible. It, it is amazing. There was nothing, it appears, that Ukraine left out in their details. Absolute masterclass on 
how to do a large-scale offensive right, and Russia suffered catastrophic losses in manpower and in equipment, which, again, any of the Soviet-era equipment or Russian Federation equipment that Ukraine captures, they can integrate that right into their military. And even if there is, say, a infantry fighting vehicle on the side of the road that is half blown up, they have entire teams that are going through those vehicles and pulling every possible spare part that they can find before they're bringing those to scrap. Russia isn't even doing these efforts. They don't have the capability. They don't have the logistics to do it. Thank you for listening to our special month in review. I hope this was helpful and enjoyable for you. I do have one other housekeeping item. We are a team of 13, but there are only three authors that write the scripts for the podcast and write the situation report. And I am the main editor of that. I have to leave tomorrow for Boston for not one, but two funerals, both unrelated, but both people that were important to me in my life and in my formative years. So I will be traveling on both Monday and Saturday next week, and I will be dealing with funerals on Wednesday and Thursday. The impact of that is the podcast will probably be a little shorter that we have over the week, and we will probably not be covering things like geopolitics and Russian mobilization and military status. We will absolutely continue to provide battlefield analysis through the entire week. And with that, again, I want to thank you again for listening. If you're not a patron, please consider becoming one for as little as $5 a month. You can support independent journalism. It is how we pay the bills around here. Without you, there is no Malcontent News War Report podcast. And with that closing thought, everybody, be good to each other. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.